for another episode of Occam's Razor, a podcast about the unexplained. Brought to you on Podcast Radio with your host, Jim Bedchill. Welcome to Occam's Razor, episode 52. Uh, very special guest tonight is David de Jong, an investigative journalist and author of a new book called Nazi Billionaires, The Dark History of Germany's Wealthiest Dynasties. Something the Wall Street Journal in a review described as a provocative group portrait of five industrialists who expanded their fortunes by colluding with Hitler and then, after World War II, walked away with minimal punishment and barely a dent in their bottom lines. In this meticulously researched book, Mr. De Jong, an investigative journalist and former reporter at Bloomberg News, compels us to confront the current-day legacy of these Nazi ties. How are you? Hey, I'm very well, Jim. Thanks for having me. It's yeah, no, no problem. Now, I was alerted to your, uh, well, to your, to your recent release after reading it. Um, a story came across the wires, and I think I picked it up over here, um, and that got me interested because I've always had a bit of a, um, I won't say fascination because that sounds a bit morbid, but I've certainly an interest um, in Nazi and their rise to the rise to power and the effects they had on the rest of the world, you know, um, and unfortunately we're, we're still at a point where um, vainglorious dictators think it's okay to invade sovereign countries. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's right. And the genesis of your book um, is an examination of the companies still um, around in Germany today, um, some big names in there um, that profited from their collusion with Nazis. Um and and you know in a in, in a roundabout way continue to profit from their association. Um, so first of all, what what um, brought you to this book? Was it a personal sort of crusade, or did you have a, an interest in uh, through another avenue? Yeah, it was through work. I um, I started at this team, this investigate this new investigative team for Bloomberg News in late 2011, and this team investigated hidden wealth, billionaire fortunes, family-owned companies, family offices. And I was asked to, well, I was hired to cover the North Americas or as a reporter covering the North Americas, yep. uh, covering North America. And, and I was soon asked to add uh, the German-speaking countries to my remit um, because I'm a native Dutchman. And, you know, I ended up writing these stories that kind of mix the historical and the financial and the business aspects. And what led me to write the book is really this kind of brazen whitewashing that is happening today by companies like BMW and Porsche, who are maintaining massive global foundations in the name of their exalted saviors celebrating their business successes, but leaving out the, um, you know, the war crimes or the uh, Nazi affiliations that these men uh, had. And that's really, you know, that's really how I, how I got to, that's really the reason. I mean, the book is an, is, um, is an argument in favor of historical transparency. And um, which, which is still know. important, you know, these days, obviously we had the, you know, um, people that would, would hunt down, you know, every, every Nazi associated with with some atrocities, even to this day, that still happens. Was that? And you know, and yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, and people get some satisfaction out of that. Let's let's be honest. Um, making sure these people pay for for their crimes is that uh, you took some inspiration for that, or did you sort of stumble across anything um, and then decide that you know, hey, there's more to this. I got to dig a dig a bit deeper. It's definitely the latter. Um, yep. um, I think you know it was one of those cases of follow the money. Um, or follow the in that way in this way it was more like follow the history sure um but no it was really this kind of senses especially in a country like germany which you know for for which has this very lauded remembrance culture and rightfully so it's lauded but you know the the, the wealthiest and most powerful in germany are are sidestepping this reckoning are, are paying lip service uh, to this remembrance culture and they're not honestly engaging with it. They're trying to whitewash their past. And, I, you know, the blatancy of that I, is, you know, I thought... It's hypocrisy. At its why point. doesn't anybody... Exactly, yeah. Uh, yeah. Hypocrisy and, and why why didn't, you know, why doesn't... I was I was... Very surprised myself that nobody had ever written about it before. Yeah, and um, and yeah, I mean, it led me to leave my job in New York, move to Berlin, and spend four four and a half years researching and writing uh, for the book. Wow, wow! Now, I'm assuming you're gonna you would have had to speak with quite a quite a broad range of uh, informants and, um, and and people associated with. These sort of you know captains of industry or descendants of of uh, people from you know who were who were in charge of things during the Nazi time. Mm-hmm. Um, how how hard was it to source information? As you said, there hasn't been a lot of uh, or any publications pertaining to this um, to date, and we're we're sort of seventy eighty years down the track now. So, right. is did that surprise you? The as you said, the lack of transparency was there. You know, is this sort of thing that you know, is paid lip service, but is ultimately kind of just hushed up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that, that's the that's the ultimate part. So, what what happens in Germany, or what happens with these German business dynasties, is that you know some scandal breaks. You know, and, and uh, journalists, investigative German investigative journalists digs up the dark Nazi past of of you know, beloved patriarch X or, you know, admired company Z. And in and in response for to the inevitable fury that always ends up happening after these revelations, rightfully so, I would argue, you know, the family or the, the business family or the company says, oh, we're going to commission an academic study. You know, we're going to open up our archives. And, um, you know, we're going to publish this academic study, you know, it's going to be published publicly. And we will hire an independent uh, academic historian to, to, and his team of researchers to investigate it all. Uh, which I, then happens. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, which then happens. And in four years, you don't hear anything about it. And four years later, a study is published. Um, but a study you know, is written in dense, is 1,200 pages in dense academic German. Mm-hmm. And in a way, these families very cleverly pacify the subject and hide the facts in plain sight. Because, of course, by publishing a study 
in in you know thousands of pages in dense academic German, you very much limit. Uh, you know, there's very only very few people, even in Germany, who actually have really access to the to the facts. You know, I mean, it's a gross outline of 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 um, of what 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 transpired, what the crimes were committed, but the details never you know never reach a lar- larger audience. And and so to get back to your question, I mean, the. You know, and, and then and then after such a study is published, you have one reclusive billionaire heir who gives like a mea culpa interview, but then no, nothing actually changes, mm. right? Um, um, the, the 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 corporate headquarters is, is still named after, you know, Nazi group, war criminal father or grandfather. Same with regards to foundations, media prizes, academic chairs. And there's no transparency about which when did. So there's kind of, you know, the, the cover-up continues in a way. Mm-hmm. So so to get back to your question, I mean, the, the you know, a lot luckily, you know, I had to visit many archives again. I mean, I moved to Germany for the writing and the research to, to Berlin. Yep. So there were many archives across Germany, across Europe, across the United, across the United States. A lot of archives have been digitized, which is great. Um, secondly, a lot of these studies, you know, they were they were incredibly helpful. Uh, there's a lot of biographies, a lot of memoirs. Just uh, you know, I think I, I, you know, I have uh, throughout my years of, of research, uh, um, I, I, you know, accumulated hundreds of books. Like, I, I, I endearingly called it my Nazi business library, um, you know, and it was, um, yeah, I mean, that's, it was um, a very incremental process, but uh, I'm glad I got the job done. So a lot of it was just good old grunt work um, by the sounds of things. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and you know, and, and the second part of your question was, you're getting people to talk to me. You know, it's surprising. I had one heir who I corresponded with on record, which is the grandson of Friedrich Fleck, which actually the the only of my main character, the only one of my main characters, which which ended up being convicted at Nuremberg for war crimes and crimes against humanity. All the other main characters in my book got off scot free, mm. and um, you know he was quite reflective and candid. But all the other, you know all the other heirs I tried to speak to either through their family office spokespeople or their companies, you know, they all rejected my, uh, um, they, they, or they didn't even write back and they didn't give a comment or, you know, some of the spokespeople answered my questions, tried trying try to duck and dodge, you know, and, um, but yeah, but one heir um, comment to me on record. You take, um, just reading through the lines, you take particular, uh, aim at uh, Gunther Quant or the, the family associated yeah. today with him. Um, why is he considered? Why was he sort of you know someone you targeted more specifically than than the others? Because he's a patriarch of what is today Germany's wealthiest and arguably most powerful business dynasty, the Quants, of which two heirs control BMW today. The, the two siblings, they're Germany's and Europe's richest family. And also because they have, Gunther Quandt was not only one of the 
ended up being one of the largest profiteers in Nazi Germany, one of the largest exploiters of forced and slave labor, one of the largest beneficiaries of Aryanizations and expropriations, and one of the largest weapons produ- arms producers of, of, of the Third Reich. But he also has this crazy story where he his first wife dies in the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918. And then he ends up remarrying this young girl. I mean, she's 17 at the time. Uh, meets him, meets him, and that marriage dissolves within a decade. They have one son, and he had one son from his first marriage. Um, and that that young girl ends up being Magda Goebbels, ends up oh. remarrying after the divorce to to um, to Josef Goebbels, the Nazi propaganda minister. Sure. So. So that's where it was his introduction really, to to Nazism. I'm I'm presuming. Well, actually, earlier than that, even already, they were already introduced back in 1926, 1927, in Manhattan of all places, where there was this kind of Nazi playboy Kurt Ludecker, who was like fundraising, tried to fundraise money with Henry Ford, this virulent anti-Semite, and and um, and uh, you know, I somebody who idolized Hitler was kind of his efforts in the US weren't going very well. And then it's like, oh, and then he was at the Plaza Hotel in Manhattan. And uh, and then Gunther Gunther Quant Gunther and Magda Quant are in town and he's friends with the younger brother of Gunther. So he then tries to tries to uh, kind of convert them to the Nazi cause. And Gunther Quant is actually completely uninterested because he was an apolitical, he was totally an opportunist, you know, if somebody can at the time it's nineteen twenty six Nazi party is nascent and burgeoning, but 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 Magda Goebbels or Magda Quant becomes completely hooked, and is later introduced to Kurt Ludecker after the divorce, to the finer circles of of kind of the more aristocratic circle supporters of of, of the Nazi party, and the, through them, you know, she goes to a rally. That's where she hears Goebbels speak, and she falls completely in love and. And and finds a job for her and uh, or, or applies for a job in his office, and uh, and and then you know to get near him, and then they start to date, and you know the most infamous couple after Adolf Hitler and, and Eva Braun is in in the in the in the third Reich take shape. He now there was obviously a lot of um, you know collaboration with industrious as as during the rise to power of the Nazi. Um, but but uh, friend Gunther here was a bit different in the sense that Hitler sort of admitted him into the inner sanctum uh, politically, didn't he? Um, with a position, uh, I think they're called defense economy, leader of the defense economy. Oh yeah, very virtuous for. I mean, mm. these the the these you know other of my main characters like Ferdinand Porsche designed of course designed the Volkswagen and and and. You know, was tasked with Hitler to put it into production and convince Hitler after he designed the prototype to put it into production. And Friedrich Fleck as well, who I mentioned earlier, who ran the largest privately held steel, coal, and weapons conglomerate during the Third Reich. Mm-hmm. They were all Verwirtschaftsführers. It's a very long word. But the title itself actually didn't really mean much. I mean, it was more kind of a it was more kind of a phony title okay. to to 
to denote a certain importance for for production for the Nazi regime. Basically, if you have a very if you had a very relevant business and you were a Nazi Party member, then yeah, you probably were going to get the very Schaffsführer title. And yeah. I had a very ornate, ornate badge, but it didn't, it denoted, yeah, it, it denoted that you were a, a powerful industrialist, basically, or a, a powerful producer of goods relevant to the Nazi rearmament efforts or uh, later on Nazi war machine. Um, but you didn't have a particularly high position within the regime as a, as a result. Sure. Okay, so they were admitted kind of into the inner sanctum, but in reality, Hitler was his main interest in them was their industrial power. Yeah. Their oh, totally. regard. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, that was, you know, all that mattered in Nazi Germany, and I think it counts for many autocratic regimes, is how relevant one is for the, you know, what what can you do for us? You know, yeah. like if you if you're relevant uh, business wise, uh, politically, otherwise, you know, legally, then, yeah, I mean, then you're probably safe. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, it's all about who, what can you offer us and who do you know? Now, Quant has been touched before uh, in media in, in the form of a 2007 uh documentary film called yeah. the silence of the quants yeah yeah um now we were talking earlier about um the i'm looking at the bio here of it and it says the family's political past was not well known but the documentary film revealed this to a wider audience and confronted yeah. uh the family about their use of of slave laboring um obviously that you know they're you know they are known in some capacity to have had had involvement. You know, media in the media. You know, they've been highlighted. Um, are they sort of the kind of people that have made some proactive change? You know, and, and tried to, or have they just kind of tried to patch up their past and, and uh, sweep it under the carpet, as it were? Well, that's actually so. That's actually exactly what I just referred to. Um, yep. You know, with with regards to how they dealt how the quants dealt with the fallout of the documentary. Yep. Right. So they, they commissioned a history professor, a German history professor to do a study following the fallout of the documentary or the publication documentary and the massive reaction that came out. The study was published very thoroughly, yep. you know, very thorough. Study. Oh, okay. So that was, was the 600 pages. We well, the 1200 pages 1200 exactly. pages my mistake yeah. yeah and and but but what what happened afterwards you know and stefan quant who's germany's wealthiest heir who's a controlling shareholder together with his sister bmw gave together with his cousin gabriella gave his mayor culpa interview but what in fact happened afterwards you know after Günther quant was found to have exploited almost sixty thousand forced slave laborers today stefan quant is on a clutter still work from the Gunter Quant house, you know. Um, uh, Stefan Quant, every year in June, awards the Herbert Quant Media Prize, a media prize in the name of his father, who in the study was found to be 
you know, uh, having uh, designed, built, and dismantled a, um, a sub-concentration camp in Nazi-occupied Poland, who was found to have had the responsibility over thousands of forced enslaved laborers um, in Berlin battery factories, uh, including hundreds of women, uh, concentration camp captives from Auschwitz, who was found to have acquired companies in France stolen from Jews, who was found to have had used forced forced laborers and, and prisoners of war at his own private estate. You know, and none of that, I mean, this is on a media prize, mind you, one of Germany's large media prize. If you look up the biography of Herbert Quant, you know, they had a wise whitewashed biography on the website of a, of a journalism prize for over a decade. Um, so there's there's twelve hundred uh, there's twelve hundred uh, page reporters just a big exercise in PR is it? No, I mean it's not because it's the study itself is very thorough. Yeah, but but in a way they don't. It is that they then you know again they pass they can they can now say to anyone who said well we have you know we have done for thorough research it's all in a study on our shelf. But but then it begs the question: Who actually is 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 this reckoning with, right? Because mm. it never reaches the uh, the surviving, you know, the surviving forced slave laborers or, or or their heirs. You know, for the most part, of course, the victims weren't. Um, you know, for the most part, the victims weren't German. You know, and and they don't. You know, most Germans can't read that dense academic German, let alone. Let alone, you know, uh, the millions of surviving forced slave laborers from 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 Russia and and Ukraine and Belarus and and and, and Poland, you know, or from 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 France and Italy, or from the, well, any of the Western European or Nordic uh, Nordic countries. So and and then I mean, and even more brazenly, I would I would say, you know, in 2016, BMW. Uh, established his foundation in the name of Herbert Quant, which is a massive global foundation called the BMW Foundation Herbert Quant, which as a model has inspired responsible leadership <laughs> in the name of an, uh, uh, you know, because, and the only reason for that, and it's a one sentence biography um, of, of, of Herbert Quant on their website, because he saved BMW from bankruptcy in 1959. Okay. And made his family do well, his family in Germany. Interesting, very interesting. I suppose the the biggest question for me is, you know, we talk about, um, you know, the, their association with with um, the Führer and, uh, and Nazism, but post war, um, most of these people that were associated were brought to justice in, in some way or the other. But um, you sort of delve into the fact that they. In particular, uh, friend Quant seemed to have got away kind of scot free, really. And what was behind that? I mean, it was what was mainly behind that was the the, the seismic uh, policy decision on the side of the United States with the emergence of the Cold War, where you know, Nazi Germany quickly became ancient history sure. from 1947 onwards. And they, they borrowed all the uh, scientists for, 
Operation Paperclip and so forth. Right, yeah. as well, and as well, but they also, the main decision which saw, saw most of the industrialists and financiers go scot-free was the decision to 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 rebuild West Germany as a you know dem- viably democratic state, yeah, um, and as a uh, with a strong industry as a bulwark against the Soviet Union and, and encroaching communism, and for and that ended up you know having um, you know a, ma- a far more limited scope. Of the Nuremberg trials, particularly, you know, there was there were there were discussions of whether there should be a second Nuremberg trial held solely against uh, industrialists and and financiers and executives, uh, or a second main Nuremberg trial on their Allied purview. But in the end, the Americans held twelve successive successor trials uh, to the main Nuremberg trial, in, in which. Three of them were industrialists, or there were trials against industrialists. Who, them, who were the three uh, involved? Yeah, there was Friedrich Flick and his associates. It was Alfred Krupp and his associates, and it was um, and it was the board of Vigay Farben at the time, the largest chemical and, and pharmaceuticals conglomerate. Okay, um, and you know, but 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 for the rest, you know, this momentous policy decision. And shift in 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 the face of the Cold War or the emerging Cold War had the United States and, and to a lesser extent the United Kingdom hand over you know tens of thousands of suspected Nazi war criminals and and sympathizers to back to German authorities or to German authorities. Yeah. Um. In the and in, in these so-called denazification trials. To, to to be tried in these denazification trials, of course, which became a totally flawed legal process, which was a totally flawed legal process and a kind of a sham, and um, which saw, you know, we, these were layman trials for the most part. And of course, most of the, those that were studies that were sitting in the judge's position or prosecutors or, or lawyers or Whomever, you know, they didn't really feel the need to 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 judge their fellow compatriots on on, on crimes and, and sympathies that, that many of them had shared in. Mm. Well, I suppose I think as you said, Cold War was the underlying factor for the in terms of the US's cooperation or um, you know, failure to bring these people to to trial was the first thing. Or not to trial, but fail failure to punish them sufficiently for their involvement. Um, and creating a strong West Germany, you know, with all the benefits of the of the Rhine Rhineland area, while while the rest right. of it's partitioned off to to Russia, who got a you know, uh, well, <laughs> you know, it's not as flash as the Rhineland, put it that way. Um, so yeah, 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 no. So it was really American American interest. You're saying was was behind um, keeping everything, you know. Keep, keeping the cooperation going, as it were, and sharing right. resources and that sort of stuff, as, as we saw with the with the scientists and their reallocation to um, Los Alamos. Yes, exactly. Yeah, 
No, it's fascinating. Um, what do you hope to achieve, you know, with the book? Um, you're hoping to get some things opened up again, you know, or just make the public aware of the atrocities that, yeah. that you know, built their empire that, you know, they take for granted today? Yeah, I mean, again, as I as I as we started our conversation, you know, I said the book is an is an argument in favor of historical transparency. Yep. You know, one only learns from history by showing the good and the bad. What is the what is the purpose of a of a, of a supposed reckoning if you then if if you then continue to maintain global foundations, media prizes, uh, corporate headquarters, academic chairs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, celebrate you know by not showing the war crimes that these men did were which are held up as examples to a large audience you know mm. um but only celebrating their business successes again i mean nobody learns from history but just showing by only showing the good you know uh but by showing the good and the bad and if if, if they don't if these companies like bmw and porsche and the families that control these companies don't want to commit to that you know they should you know they should rename. Uh, mm. They should rename these things, but they should first get the chance to 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 if they so want to still name these foundations after these men. Then you know first give them a chance to to choose the path of historical transparency, and not or at least, or at least try and it. yeah, and at least try and right the wrongs of the past, right? Exactly. Well, morally, right? Uh, at least through through you know, a, a, a responsibility that they have to history in a way. And, you know, I think it's, it's, uh, I think what consumers should be very aware of is if you spend, you know, your money on products of these families, whether it's, whether it's the cars, whether it's the consumer, other, other kinds of consumer goods that these families control, you know, they, the money you spend on these, on their products, could end up as dividends that go towards maintaining uh, these global foundations, uh, media prizes, corporate headquarters, uh, academic chairs, and so forth. Um, you know, I think people should make their own decision whether they should buy these products. You know, uh, I mean, you know, what I do is lay out the facts, and and people should make their own informed decision. Yeah. And um, and uh, yeah, but but. Uh, awareness is the main thing, you know, especially as a, as a journalist, you know, how, 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 sure. How aware, um, are the public or, and, or were, um, post publication of your book, um, that these, you know, ties are still in place today. Um, is it, I think, you know, a lot of people, you know, know about BMW's involvement in the, in the war and manufacturing and that sort of stuff. Um, but you know, is the average German in particular aware of these things? I mean, they might be vaguely aware of the companies that were involved, but of course, I focus more on the families that control these companies, you know, which in many ways are Germany's well-known families for being the, the wealthiest and the, the, the most, one, you know, economically powerful. Exactly, the 0.1%. Um, and, and they're not very much aware of, of, of the histories of, of these families. Yeah. That was really, that was really bringing these family histories to the fore. Uh, yeah, that that was really the more so than than 
and the goods they control, because again, a lot of the histories of these companies themselves are, are quite well known, I would say. So I decided to focus on the families as opposed to the companies. Mm. Especially in an age of, of corporate responsibility, you know, they we talk about the you know the transparency in regards to um, diversity and and that sort of thing these days. Um, you know, there's it's, we're at that point in time where people deserve to know uh, that the company that they're dealing with or buying their products, you know, is um, you know on the level and and humanitarian, yeah. you know, um, and not profiting off off the um, well the the slave labor and the ultimate the deaths of millions of people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Couldn't agree more, Jim. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> Good stuff. So we've been speaking with David De Jong, investigative journalist and author. Uh, his book is Nazi Billionaires, The Dark History of Germany's Wealthiest Dynasties. Uh, where can people pick, pick up the book, uh, particularly on this side of the world, David? Is it something you can get through Amazon? Yeah, yeah. It's something you can order it on Amazon, either as a hard copy, uh, as an audio book, or as an ebook, so you have you have many different forms you can consume the book in. Brilliant. And who who narrated the uh, the the book on tape, as it were? It's uh, an um, uh, American narrator called uh, Michael David Extel. He did a fantastic job, uh, in my opinion. Good stuff. Um, and it's available in different languages as well, or just English, German, Dutch? Uh, no, it's, it's, it's a, so far it's English and German in which it is available. Okay, excellent. That's brilliant. So that was uh, Occam's Razor episode 52. Uh, I'm Jim Birchall. And thanks for coming on, David. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Jim. No